Shalom, and thank you for listening at BethEmmanuel.org. Your regular financial contributions make it possible for Beth Emanuel to make D. Thomas Lancaster's weekly sermons available online. We genuinely appreciate your support and hope that you are blessed by these teachings. Feel free to download these audio files and share them with your friends and family. Please consider joining Beth Emanuel's extended virtual family and support our efforts for the kingdom with a gift by clicking on the Donate tab at BethEmanuel.org. Why did the world come into being? On the one hand, there is a common axiom in Jewish literature that holds, God created the world only for the sake of the righteous. On the other hand, we also read in the Talmud, each and every person is obligated to say, the world was created only for me. Both of these can't be simultaneously true, can they? If it said, God created the world only for the sake of the sinners, well, then I might feel comfortable saying, the world was created only for me. Parshat Breshit gives us the opportunity to look back at the creation of the universe and ponder these types of questions. Earlier this week of Parshat Breshit, NASA released another image from the James Webb Telescope. It's a stunning image of a faraway section of our galaxy invisible to the naked eye, which astronomers dubbed the Pillars of Creation. The so-called pillars look to me more like an enormous hand spanning unfathomable distances, as if God's outstretched hand is still shaping the cosmos. In reality, the fingers, or so-called pillars, are composed of semi-transparent gas and dust in a region of the galaxy where young stars are still forming, still coalescing, and still coming into being. It's an amazing image. The cosmic formation was first captured by the Hubble telescope back in 1995 and given the name Pillars of Creation, but now it can be seen in vivid detail thanks to the amazing James Webb telescope. The image depicts the work of creation still at work, still forming new stars and hence the name Pillars of Creation. It's probably not coincidental that NASA released this image this week during Parshat Breshit. The best scientists are usually Jewish. I don't mean to imply that the pillars of creation are actually the literal pillars of creation or the hand of God. Instead, I mention the photograph because the term pillars of creation evokes several passages from the Bible which I've been kicking around. In biblical language, God sets the universe upon pillars. The pillars of the world are the foundations on which it stands. Psalm 75 says, It is I who have firmly set the earth's pillars. Solomon says, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. And the sages interpret this statement to refer to the creation of the universe. In biblical thought, the world stands on cosmic pillars. The pillars of creation, which form the foundation of the world, also remind me of something else King Solomon said. In Proverbs 10.25, he said, When the whirlwind passes, the wicked is no more, but the righteous has an everlasting foundation. That's one way to read the Hebrew. The Hebrew says, Ka'avor sufa ve'ein rasha v'tzadik yesod olam. It's fair to interpret this proverb to mean that when trouble comes, 
like a tempest or a storm. The wicked don't survive the troubles that beset them, but the righteous do survive life's trials because they have a strong and sure foundation. They have a yesod alam, an everlasting foundation. I am reminded of our master saying that the one who hears his words but does not do them is like the man who builds his house on sand. When the storm comes, his house falls because it had no foundation. But the man who hears his words and does them is like the man who builds his house upon the rock. His house withstands the tempest because it has a solid foundation. We know that the tempest will come, but when the storms of life pass, who is left standing? Those who have built their lives on the solid rock of the words of our Master. Yeshua says, Why do you call me Master if you do not do what I say? There's also another way to read the Hebrew words, Fetzadik Yesod Olam, because the word Olam has some ambiguity. It can mean forever or an age of time, or it can mean the world, or even by extension, the universe. For example, we refer to Hashem as Melech Ulam, the king of the world, or the king of the universe. On this basis, the words Tzadik Yesod Olam can be understood as the righteous is the foundation of the world. According to this reading of the Hebrew, the sages derive the idea that the world exists for the sake of the righteous, the Tzadik. For example, consider this classic parable from Yalkut Shimoni. Once there was a king who sought to build a palace. He began to dig, going further down to lay a foundation, but he found only swampy soil, and so it was in many places. He was not able to build until he dug in one place, and there he found a bed of Petra, bedrock. Thus he said, I am building and placing foundations here, and he built. So too, the Holy One, blessed be he, sought to create the world. He was sitting and scrutinizing the generation of Enosh and the generation of the flood, and he said, For what shall I create the world and let those wicked men arise and vex me? But when the Holy One, blessed be he, saw Abraham arise in the future, he said, Behold, I have found Petra to build upon and to lay the foundation of the world. Thus he called Abraham rock, sur, as it says in Isaiah 51, look to the rock from which you were hewn. And he called Israel rocks, surim, Yalkut Shimoni. Yalkut Shimoni does not cite Proverbs 10.25 as its proof text, but it's clearly the concept behind the parable. The righteous, the tzaddik, is the foundation of the world. It's an idea that carries over into the appellations of praise for a righteous person. We find an example in the Gospel of Thomas, where the disciples, of, the disciples say to Yeshua, We know that you will leave us. Who will be our leader then? Yeshua replies by pointing them to his brother, Yaakov Hatzadik, James the Righteous. He says, Wherever you are, seek James the Righteous, for whose sake heaven and earth came into being. Wait a second. What did that say? Heaven and earth came into being for the sake of James the righteous? It's a jarring statement when read outside the context of Jewish literature, but it's simply a hyperbolic statement to declare that someone is a true tzaddik 
a righteous person. He's so righteous that if he was the only person on earth, God would still have made the heavens and the earth just for his sake. We find similar language in the Talmud where it says, Rav said, The world was created only for the sake of David. Shmuel said, The world was created only for the sake of Moses. Rabbi Yochanan said, Only for the sake of the Messiah. The Zohar and Kabbalistic sources interpret the words Tzadik Yesod Alam, the righteous is the foundation of the world, as a title for Joseph. For his sake, the world was sustained. This relates to the idea that the world continues to exist and is sustained only through the merit of the righteous. We find examples in the Bible where the righteous have saved the world. For example, Abraham negotiated for the salvation of Sodom and Gomorrah. He persuaded God that if there were merely 10 righteous men in those cities, the cities should be spared. Likewise, by the end of this Torah reading, we see that God regrets he created human beings at all, and he is ready to bring an end to them. But then the Torah portion concludes with the words, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. The next parsha begins with the words, these are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. What happens next? God saves humanity through the righteous merit of Noah. Because Noah finds favor in God's eyes, the Lord uses him to save the world. The flood in the days of Noah seems to fulfill the words, When the tempest passes, the wicked is no more but the righteous is the foundation of the world. Proverbs 10.25 There's also the idea that the righteous hold off the tempest. In our Torah portion today, it tells us that Methuselah, the great-grandfather of Noah, lived 969 years. It works out that this means he died the same year that the flood began. The oldest man in the world died in the same year that the flood began began. The Talmud explains that God withheld the flood during his lifetime. Until the day of his death, the merit of godly Methuselah had kept the impending judgment at bay. As long as Methuselah lived, the flood did not come upon the world because of his merit. When Methuselah died, the rain was withheld for seven days after his death. That's what it says in a vote to Rabbi Natan. This concept also explains why we appeal to the merit of the righteous in our prayers, and particularly during the high holiday prayers. We ask God to remember Noah, to remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to remember the martyrs, and so forth. The idea is that the righteous find favor in God's eyes, and they can share that favor with others. Needless to say, this idea is at the center of Messianic Judaism. We base our whole faith upon it. It's the idea that the world is created for the sake of the righteous, sustained for the sake of the righteous, and ultimately saved from destruction for the sake of the righteous. So far, we have established the idea that the world came into being for the sake of the tzaddik, for the sake of the righteous. But what about the obligation to say, the world was created only for me? Well, if you work out the math, this means you are the tzaddik for whom the, for whom the world was created. If the world was created only for the righteous, 
and the world was created only for you, then you must be righteous. Not only that, you must be the Tzadik Yesod Olam. Well, then again, maybe you aren't. But what if you could borrow the righteousness of the righteous and get it applied to you? What if a righteous person could give you his righteousness by saying, let's swap. You take credit for all my good deeds and I'll take punishment due to you for your sins. That sounds like an amazing offer, but there's a catch. You have to cling to the righteous person, kind of like Noah's wife, his sons, and his daughters-in-law. They actually had to get into the ark with Noah to be saved from the flood. So, how do you cling to the righteous? There's a commandment in the Torah, which is understood as a mitzvah to cling to the righteous. Moses said, You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and cling to him. Deuteronomy 10.20. What does it mean to cling to him? The Hebrew word, devak, to cling, implies adhesion. The Torah used the same word to describe a man's relationship with his wife. A man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave, devak, to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Yeshua used that verse, that verse about cleaving to one's wife, to teach the principle of monogamous fidelity in marriage. Therefore, clinging to God can be understood as an intimate connection of singular fidelity, devotion, and loyalty. Clinging to God and to God alone implies sticking to him. We refer to the commandment to cleave to God as devakut. How is this devakut, this cleaving, done in practical terms? How does one stick to the invisible God? The Talmud asks, Is it possible for a man to cleave to the Shekhinah, seeing that it is written in Deuteronomy 4.24, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. In order to cling to God, a man must cling to the servants of God, the righteous, who act on his behalf. Since God is unseen, one cannot literally cling to him, but a person can cling to the righteous, who are already attached to God. Sifre explains, This commandment to cleave to God means that we should cleave unto the sages and their disciples. Maimonides explains that clinging to God can only be accomplished by clinging to those who teach the Torah. By this injunction we are commanded to mix and associate with sages, wise men, to be always in their company and to join with them in every possible manner of fellowship, in eating, drinking, and business affairs, to the end that we may succeed in becoming like them in respect of their actions and in acquiring true opinions from their words. Rambam, Sefer HaMitzvot. The concept of cleaving to the sages describes the concept of discipleship. That is to say, a man cleaves to God by becoming the disciple of a tzaddik who is already cleaving to God. Chassidut teaches that by means of his devotion to his rabbi, his, his devachut to his rabbi, the chassid shares in his rabbi's righteousness and communion with God. By clinging to one's rabbi, the chassid enters into a spiritual union with his rabbi. Since the rabbi already enjoys a higher level of union with God, Devakut, with the Rebbe, elevates the disciple into that relationship. 
Chassidut teaches that scrupulous compliance with the will of one's Rebbe, coupled with an internalization of the Rebbe's teaching, brings the disciple into unity with the righteous man, and therefore into unity with God. Our Master says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. John 15.4 And he says, In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. John 14.20 There's nothing more biblical than the idea of cleaving to a righteous person. It's totally biblical to seek God by looking to a righteous person, to ask a righteous person for prayer and intercession, and to hope for help from heaven in the merit and virtue of a righteous person. If you just think through your Bible, you'll find that in every generation, there is a righteous person who rises up at the head of the people. Those who cling to the righteous are saved not in their own merit, but in the merit of the righteous person and in, in, in the merit of his or her prayers. In the days of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, when invaders carried away captives, the survivors appealed to Abraham to save them, and he did. He saved them for the sake of his nephew Lot. When the cities of the plain were to, to be destroyed by fire, Abraham attempted to intercede for them, negotiating God down to ten men. It turned out that God was not willing to destroy the cities of the plain, even if one righteous remained in them, as the angel said to righteous Lot, Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Think of the story of Abimelech when his household is struck by a terrible affliction that meant certain death for him and his household. The Lord told him to return Sarah to Abraham and to ask Abraham to pray for him. But if you do not, know that you shall surely die you and all who are yours, Genesis 20, verse 7. Then it says, Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maids, so that they bore children. So we find this all through the Bible. Those who heed the righteous, cling to the righteous, and associate themselves with the righteous will live. It says in Habakkuk, the righteous will live by his faith. But we can read the Hebrew to say that Sadiq will enliven by his faith. Through his faithfulness to God, that Sadiq accrues enough favor with God to ask him for favors, and God grants those favors. As James the Righteous says, The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. James 5.16 He goes on to remind us how Elijah was a normal human being, but God answered his prayers withholding the rain for three years and six months, according to his word. In the Egyptian servitude, those who heeded the righteous son of Amram and clung to him were saved from Egypt, and in the wilderness he gave them food and water. Those who remained loyal to him survived, and when they rebelled against him, they perished. In every generation, God raises the righteous to provide a beacon in the days of the judges, he raised men like Gideon, Deborah, and Barak, and they saved the nation. In the days of the prophets like Samuel, Nathan, Ahijah, Elijah, Elisha, and all the prophets, people came to the prophets to seek God, and if they heeded the message of the prophets, they were spared. I could give you many more examples. 
Suffice to say that it's a biblical idea to rely on the righteous, look to the righteous, and cleave to the righteous. Jewish sources distinguish between the tzaddik and the tzaddik gamur. A tzaddik is a righteous person who walks upright before the Lord. It doesn't mean he's perfect. It means he's godly, God-centered, and makes godly choices. On a higher level than the tzaddik, there is what's called the tzaddik gamur, that is, the completely righteous person, a sinless person. The New Testament tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but that the Messiah was without sin. So, if cleaving to the righteous draws us close to cleave to God's Shekhinah, how much more so will cleaving to the completely righteous bring us near to God? In Hasidic sources, the Tzadik Yesod Olam, the true Tzadik who is the foundation of the world, refers to Joseph, for whose sake the world was spared, the famine. But Joseph is not called a Tzadik Gamur, a complete Tzadik. The Zohar says that he was not considered a Tzadik until he passed the test with Potiphar's wife. The Messiah, on the other hand, will be a Tzadik Gamur, a complete Tzadik. He is the true Tzadik Yesod Olam, the righteous one who is the foundation of the world, and he is the savior of the world, the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. For his sake, the world came into being, and also for your sake. Because when you cling to Yeshua as his disciple, he clothes you in his righteousness. As it says in Isaiah, he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. He takes your sins and shortcomings upon himself and credits you with his righteousness, as the Holy Shaul explains in his letter to the community of disciples in Rome. And he says to those in Philippi, not a righteousness of my own, but that which is through faith in the Messiah, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Philippians 3.9 The righteous will live by faith, and the tzaddik will make alive by faith. Therefore, it's true what they say. God created the world only for the sake of the righteous, and the world was created only for me. Find rest for your soul